Hey everyone, it's Don. Welcome to episode 10 of the podcast. Make sure you're following me on Instagram at don't worry, I'm finite and youtube.com slash don't worry, I'm finite for bonus content and updates. I'm really excited for today's guest, Sarah Saturday. She's a singer, songwriter, creator, and just a really fun person to talk to. We had a great conversation about the evolution of her career as a DIY touring musician from punching holes in shower curtains to make light shows for her set to creating full cinematic experiences and a feature film. Sarah is extremely inspiring to me, and I think you'll appreciate her upbeat energy as much as I do. Uh, We get into creating the proper mood for experiencing art, finding your crowd through the artistic community, and how being yourself is so much better than trying to be famous. Let's get right into it. Welcome to Don't Worry, I'm Finite. I'm your host, Don McAvoy. Today, I'm talking with Sarah Saturday. Let's go. I'm Sarah Saturday, and this is Don't Worry, I'm Finite. Welcome to Don't Worry, I'm Finite, the podcast where we dive into inspiration, motivation, and an exploration of the creative community. I'm Don, coming at you from the ever-moving studio in Salt Lake City. My guest today is Sarah Saturday. Hi, Sarah. Hello. So, uh, who are you? Can you tell me who you are? I know you're a (laughs) singer, a songwriter, visual artist. You're kind of a little bit of everything. So, why don't you tell me about yourself? Okay. Well, uh, I was born. Nope, just kidding. Um, Sarah Saturday. (laughs) I wasn't born. Um, She was born. Yes, I I (laughs) came into existence out of the ether, which is kind of true. Anyway, yeah, I'm a musician. Uh, performance artist and and then also just a lot of other things i'm an event planner um i've worked for festivals and events for a really long time and then i mean what else am i that's a great question i live in nashville and i am married i have a dog i throw parties in my backyard i (laughs) awesome well that sounds love podcasts and love being here and i'm excited to talk to you about whatever we're going to talk about Welcome to my podcast. I'm glad you, I definitely want to talk to you about what podcast you like at some point. Mm. The way you answer that question just reminds me of how I answer it all the time because yeah, I know. I, any, anybody who's in the creative field is pretty much like, well, which one of my hats <laughs> do I want to describe first? I <laughs> I do everything. Which thing? Is it the thing I'm getting paid to do? Is yeah. it the thing that I love to do? Is it the thing I'm good at? Is it the thing I'm trying to do? Yeah, yeah the totally. And that and that right there is the, you know, the split, the dichotomy or the trichotomy. Is that a word of like what it's like to be <laughs> like a creative person? It's like, yeah, I have to make money over here so I can keep doing the thing that I like to do that doesn't make yeah. me any money. Yeah. So how did you get started with, with music? Like, w- were you a musician from the beginning? Were you in band? Um, I wasn't banned actually, but I, I started, I mean, from when I was like three years old, my mom put me in Suzuki piano and violin. Oh, okay. It's like a, this like ear training memorization method mm. of teaching little tiny kids how to play music. So I started there and then from there, it just kind of just, yeah, went forever. I was always in lessons and got in a band in school and choir, choir at church, choir at school, all the things. Wow. And then when I was 14 or so, my mom revealed that she had like an electric bass guitar and a 
electric guitar and like all these things in the basement that she had like not touched since who knows how long. And I was like, what? Teach me how to play. And so she taught me to play bass. And then I tried to join, I tried to get the band instructor, leader, whoever at school to let me play bass, but there was only like one bass playing position and he gave it to some dude. Yeah. Uh, lame. So I had to teach myself to play bass. And then when I was 16, I joined my first band in high school. And basically from there, it's just been uh, just a very long, very long journey of <laughs> music and right. what, everything that comes along with that. I feel like if you had your mind now, do you think you would have talked that band director into having two basses in the band? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you, would have been, you, you definitely would have like... made a case for it, for sure. <laughs> yes, I probably did. I think I probably did. I was a little feisty when I was in like <laughs> middle school, high school. Um, I don't even remember. I think I got really mad about it, actually. May, may have even quit band because he wouldn't let me play bass in the like jazz band or i don't remember what it was that i, I was trying to get into but anyways who's that I would definitely now? where's yeah. that where's that basis that now <laughs> well i don't know actually i should probably look him up <laughs> oh you haven't you haven't uh facebook no. stalked him lately <laughs> okay yeah 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 so that's good you don't hold a grudge um yeah exactly <laughs> cool well um well that's awesome so you, did you come from a musical family in general or like your your mom she used to play all that stuff and then kind of yeah. just faded out yeah, my mom and my dad were both like way into, they were like hippies and way into playing music and um, both had, you know, big dreams that never came true about music and art and stuff. And um, <clears throat> I think it was sort of one of those, uh, you know, it's interesting to like look back and go, I don't know if I hadn't been sort of encouraged, would I have chosen music for myself? I don't know. You know, sometimes right. I'm like, um, I don't know, because definitely my mom had some like living vicariously through her kids because my brother is also a musician infinitely better musician than i am <laughs> um and he did like really great things from early on too but um yeah music all around and it was just always around being played mm -hmm. listening to it singing singing in the, as a family in the car just music all the time nonstop. <laughs> that's great i mean that sounds like a great way to foster yeah. Like the beginnings of creativity and like making you giving you options and like helping you be interested by facilitating that. That's totally. awesome. Um, something I, I, I never really had that as a, as a kid. I didn't. My, my family is not musical at all. I oh. found music through friends. And like once I finally got in, like I got into punk music and that really like drove me into yeah. the kind of music that I was interested in. And uh, I had a, my best friend plays bass and he's very good at bass and he's been playing since he was a kid. So he started teaching me to play bass when I was in like eighth grade or so. And that is what got me into it. And, I, you know, I've always loved it. I just yeah. was never in the in the band community, but I was always friends with all the band kids. So totally. I definitely had this feeling that the band people are my kind of people. You know, like yep. they're the only people from high school that I'm still friends with. <laughs> like the people totally. who that kind of person is definitely a specific kind of personality. The band kids are the cool kids, it turns out. I agree. Yeah, that's what it turns <laughs> out. Once you're out of high school, those are the cool yeah. kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've had a lot of projects, and but your your main project is Gardening Not Architecture, right? So yes. you've been doing so much stuff with that. Like for the last, I saw you in 09 or 2010, yeah. somewhere around there. Uh, you were playing a house show in Jersey, and then we saw you in like this upstairs apartment show in Philly, and yep, it was awesome. Right. And it was totally, completely different from anything I'd ever seen, like with the visual element and just the style that you know the the, the commitment to style that you put into it, and the visual element really kind of 
took it to a different level. So I kind of, I'm just interested in how that all came about, mm. you know, what that, what that means to you as far as like having a visual element to your music. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So I had, I was in a pop punk band for a long time in my twenties and then quit that band. And because and in that band, I was really like very obsessed with getting famous like that was a really big thing for that band everybody in that band were like we're gonna make it man you know it's like it was like the days of green day and it was like we're you know this is the time for pop punk we're gonna right. make it didn't make it but you know so the focus there was just so much on like doing checking the boxes like trying to kind of how can we make ourselves accessible and marketable and like look cool and all these things like we we're really just trying to check all the boxes and then when that didn't work out I went to work in the music industry for a long time, worked for Warp Tour, Coachella, things like that. After that band broke up, about two years later, I'm working for Warp Tour, living in LA. And I was like, I thought I was done playing music. I thought I was just going to work on the industry side from there on. Okay. But the itch came back. <laughs> and I had started writing these little demos years before, just for fun. And uh, I was like, that I really want to pick that up again. So anyway, uh, it was probably 2005. I started just putzing around and I was like, you know what? I just don't want to go back to trying to check the boxes. Like I don't want to do that anymore. That was so stressful. It was draining. It was restrictive. Like I couldn't be fully, I just felt like I was playing a part a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so I started messing around with these songs, took a really long time to get the songs together, but always from the beginning, I was like, if I ever do a show or if I ever do this again, I just want to like, I just want to go so weird with it and like do whatever feels like cool and fun and weird. And how can I make it interesting and different and without the obsession about being marketable? Yeah. Image so and all by that the stuff. time, yeah. And by the time I, I don't even remember how the first light wall came into my, I drew a picture. I had this idea in my head. This actually is how it's always happened with this project. I'll get an image in my head of what I, what the stage looks like basically. Mm -hmm. And then I draw a picture of it and then I have to figure out how to make it work, you know? And so that first light wall idea, I don't remember how it came to me, but I drew, I still have the picture somewhere. And yeah, the idea kind of, and you know what, to be honest, part of it was too, that I had never played solo before and I was a little terrified. And so I was like, if I distract with this like <laughs> extremely complicated thing where you're not focused on me, you're kind of having, there's like more of an experience happening and you're yeah. like sort of either having your own personal experience or you're like, whoa, that that looks cool or whatever. Then, it's, then the, there's a little bit less pressure on me to be like, you know, because I also didn't want to do the like performy, singing songwriter, like da -da -da -da, facial things. And right. I didn't want to have, I didn't like the, I just wanted to abandon everything I had been doing for such a long time. So long story short, Lightwall came into being with the help of some very geeky techie friends who were probably abandoned high school, you know, figured it out for me. And that has just since become like almost like the band, my band member is like this other stuff that's on stage with me is mm -hmm. such a like living, breathing part of the show. And finally now, you know, that was 2000, I want to say I, that was 2007 or eight that I built that light wall. So now here we are 2021. So now I'm like not scared of performing on stage, but I love the mystique 
of putting on a show that's like the performative and lights and projections and sort of in the dark kind yeah. of thing that I'm like, um, now I've been able to bring some more performance to it. And I'm not just like standing still kind of nervous and just hoping right. you're distracted by the lights. It's more like I'm, I'm a part of the show now, but it took that long, you know, it took however, over a decade. Right. Well, um, so it started off yeah. as a crutch and then it ended up yeah. being like this extra bit of expression that became a part of your performance, totally. which is awesome. And I mean, it's, I will say as like, someone who came into that space without knowing what was going to be happening i was like i blown away by the whole performance and it was just very awesome. well really well done and i would say like 2009 or 2010 whenever we saw you yeah it's probably much easier to do now with those lights what oh, yeah. you were doing then <laughs> thank you thank you very much for that because sometimes i'm like now i go out and i'm like oh yeah you got ableton and some led like panels cool yeah. i had to get a black shower curtain and cut like a hundred holes in it and stick this like crazy because back then the led like strands were like these inch you know little pod like leds i had to like yeah. duct tape them to this thing and i had a light board that my friend of mine who was a, a lighting guy let me take on the road that was this giant heavy board mm -hmm. that i had to hook it all i mean it was crazy but yeah today you do it like a push of the button with a laptop and it looks exactly like that but thank yeah. you because it was hard to do you were a pioneer yeah <laughs> yeah i'll take it i'll take it <laughs> so yeah and that, so that was awesome to see that and you definitely were in a part of like this the community that was very open to kind of new ideas and things like that i i don't know if we mentioned it on imitating art but i i remember talking about the noise rock guy that was playing afterwards and kind of yes. squelches and squ st stuff that was like, you know, hard to listen to. And I didn't really get it. And it really wasn't for me. But I appreciated the, the like openness of the community to just kind of take yes. in whatever people were trying to put out there. And I, I think you provided us with earplugs and you were like, trust me, <laughs> you're going to want these. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I did. God, is such a, like a mother, you know? Okay, kids. That's here's what I mean. It was like, no, you should definitely stay and listen to this guy, but put these in first. <laughs> I mean, it does help. Earplugs are, are are amazing. I will say, but that was that was part of it too. Is like this the music, the music of this project has always been a little bit just outside of something. I don't know. It's just not. It's just not mainstream. And so I've always had to find a home with. The people that are doing the weird, experimental, interesting other stuff, whether yeah. because I'm visually a little too weird for a regular show or sonically or musically or whatever. Um, and like the communities that tend to be like, sure, whatever, are like the punk scenes, the sure. experimental scenes, the electronic scenes, like all these things that maybe I don't even fit in there, except that I'm doing something weird, you know. I don't but know, that I comes think... from the punk days. I mean, the punk community is where I learned that. Like exactly. anything goes, anything. You're all welcome. Make yep. art it all is welcome. Totally. And I think, and that comes up on this podcast a lot, like partly because of me, because I find, I found myself finding my people and my community in the punk scene, the pop punk mm -hmm. scene, emo, whatever, and just found an acceptance there and found the kind of people that I wanted to be around were the kind of people that will accept everyone for who they are and, and, you know, kind of push you to be yourself and mm -hmm. express your art. So it makes sense that we're, you know, we found each other that way, but, um, Totally. So how is how is this all how has this evolved since that beginning? You mentioned like you've kind of, you know, started off with like this kind of hodgepodge, you're poking holes and stuff. What do you do now? And also I was thinking I, I had this thought that your your songs kind of have this build to them. A lot of your music has this building from like 
a very slow kind of lower ethereal start and then it kind of builds to this kind of grand finish mm -hmm. and i find that's true in a lot of the songs uh that i know of yours and it feels and it's similar to you building like that light kit you know you kind of you're kind oh, of building yeah. like the whole the mood from the beginning to the end is from dark to brighter and kind mm -hmm. of inviting people in to kind of take the ride with you so how has that evolved from the beginning to now and how do you write from a point of visually or lyrically mm. first or does it all kind of come at once oh i love it oh my There's god so many questions, great sorry. questions okay i got it i got it um first of all yes i this i cannot help but write these songs that probably are all just supposed to be in a movie soundtrack you know mm -hmm. what i mean like i just cannot help it it's kind of a joke i'm like i'm gonna write a different kind of song and then i just cannot help it it just turns into that um the cinematic quality and uh, and so I think that has also played a huge role in the visuals for the live show because um, for me, when I'm watching a movie, I'm a, I love movies or like a great TV show and the music perfectly cre like matches the mood that is intended for that scene or whatever. I mean, it's like a spiritual experience sometimes, like the matching of the right music with the right visuals. And I think that's just always been something for me like if I'm watching something, I'm hearing the music in a different way. And so that's just always been something I've been super curious of. How do I do that live? Like, how do I give people something to watch, basically, so that it kind of sucks you in to create the mood? And then, yes, this music happens to also be cinematic and and it builds and it kind of creates this, like, uh, experience. And so I've just over the years tried to just run with that. I'm, I've like tried to lean into it. I keep getting people that'll write up, like do write ups, and they're just like, "Sounds like it should be in a movie, very soundtracky, <laughs> cinematic." And I'm like, "Okay, well, like let's do that." So for 2015, I released my third album, Fossils, and I made a movie for it, a visual album. This is before Lemonade came out, I will say, <laughs> but I, I think I just probably like channeled Beyonce a little bit, you know, something because yeah, that, that's definitely one of the influence <laughs> I would have pegged for you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she made them, you know, I'm always like, how am I getting these ideas like just a few months before someone famous like releases the perfect version of that idea? But it's like, we're just all connected. You know, it's got to be that I'm like, anyway, there's something so in I, the area. There's something. But so I put this movie out and the idea was, OK, I just had this vision of like, because, you know, OK, so here we go. Sidebar. You know, when you make something like make an album or a song or something and you really are super excited to play it for your friends. Mm hmm. And then you're like, okay, I'm so proud of this. I'm very nervous for you to hear this. Like, ah, I want you to listen to this song. I can't wait because I freaking love it. I think it's like the best thing I've ever heard in my life. I cannot wait. And you hit play and like 30 seconds in, they start talking to each other because it's uncomfortable to sit in silence and be like, am I supposed to, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. It's very awkward to sit and like with the person who's made the song and like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Am I commenting? Am I, you know? And so uh, one time I had a, like a listening party at my house in LA and I brought my friends over. And I'm like, here's the deal. No one's allowed to talk. I'm going to light some candles. Everybody lay on the floor and we're just going to listen to this. That's, I just want to listen to it beginning to end with my friends with no talking. And I had to like kind of tell them what to do. And they were like totally down. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds great. They, you know, once they knew what to do, it was awesome. And that little seed got planted. So for the movie, I was like, I want to have a whole room full of people listen to this album beginning to the end with headphones on watching a movie. <laughs> so that led to feature film 2015. And that was like 
I mean, that was just, I could talk about that for way too long, but that was such a crazy experience. So much work took so many people, such a huge collaboration. We had like 200 people or something at the premiere and it was, it was just really, really amazing. And then from then on, I was like, well, now I need like film visuals because now lights aren't enough for me. You know, now I need (laughs) to have this other element. So that really wiped me out. I took like I played a bunch of shows for a couple of years for that album, but I didn't um, build anything new or I was like, I don't even know what to do from here. And then I decided to go solo again, 2018. And that's when I was like, all right, it's time to bring in a new element to this. I'm going to keep the lights and now I'm going to add projection. And so right. now it's video projection. I have a friend, Dicey Wildman's my collaborator with film and she makes all my projections, my visuals. And then I have lights and then I am, also in the show. So I have a white jumpsuit on. The projections hit my white jumpsuit. They also hit the movie, the like white screen behind me that also has lights in it. So it's those things going on. And then I've started to incorporate some physical movement into it too. So I'm sort of like moving around different ways and a part of the a part of the projection and sometimes I'm out of the projection and things like that. So it's it's just becoming more performance art yeah. than just visuals. Yeah, and the videos I've seen of it are amazing. And I've, I've yet to see you live since you've started doing that. But yeah. I, I hope to in the future. Hopefully I'll be in the Nashville area because I know you don't tour as much, right? I want to take the show on the road and, and it will be easy to do as soon as it's like feasible in the world to do that. So going back to some of the stuff you were talking about, I will say that that feeling, I, I felt that as soon as you said, like you're playing mm-hmm. music for someone and they started to talk, Ugh. this is your music. So it's even harder. And I've had that experience too with the bands that I've been in, but I have that feeling when I show someone a song that like makes the hair on my arm stand yes. up and makes me cry. And I'm like, listen to this song. And then they start saying something in the middle of it. Oh. I'm like, no, you don't realize what's <laughs> happening right now. <laughs> it, like it really this, like it, hurts. <laughs> it hurts. What is that? I mean, what is that? It's it's kind of like showing someone your favorite movie and just watching yeah. their face the whole time, waiting for them to <laughs> cry at the same parts as you do and being like, why aren't you crying? Why aren't you feeling the same things I am? I just want to connect with you. <laughs> yes, I think it is. It's that desire to be like, to find, I don't know, the ways that we're the same or to find people that are like, I get it. I get totally. I understand you better through this piece of art that you love or something. Honestly, and like High Fidelity has always been one of my favorite movies. And he in one of the lines in the book and movie are... It makes a difference what you like, not just what you are like. It make you yes. know. It is a, a big thing about connection. Where if you find somebody that finds meaning in the same things you do, and you know, let's be honest, most of that is media, whether it's music yeah. or movies or TV shows. You know, when you find somebody you can quote Scrubs with all the time, then you know, yeah, <laughs> you, you you can talk to that person. You forever. find your that's your people. You yeah. find that's how you find your people. I guess, yeah, totally. Do you have a favorite or something that you can think of that is one of those moments in movies that like really hits you where the music lines up perfectly with the scene? Oh my gosh. I'll go okay, first well, if you want. Yeah, please go first. Scrubs. The scene. <laughs> have you watched Scrubs? I have, but I don't, I don't know if I'll remember a scene. So Chuck and I just did these two episodes last week, but there's a scene where several patients die and Dr. Cox is like, you know, he's usually the stern, angry, sarcastic guy, but he like gets, he completely starts like pushing stuff in the, in the operating room around because this patient died and he's beating himself up about it. And, uh, how to save a life by the fray <gasps> is playing. And it's, I, I cannot hear that song without starting to tear up just because I picture that scene and oh, it, that's they beautiful. will be inextricably linked forever for me. <laughs> yeah. That's what, that's the things like the visual element, like 
cements it in your brain in a different way or something. 100%. Yeah. Recently, I just watched for the first time the series Six Feet Under. Mm. Did you ever watch that? Oh, yeah. Everyone was like, Sarah, watch this show. And I'm like, why have I never watched this show? It's like my it's like the quintessential 90s emo girl show or something like it's just it's beautiful. It's dark. It's like it's all the things, the 90s music, the 90s outfits, the whole thing. He uh, it's the last scene, you know, and what's the song? It's Sia. And it's like a seven minute cut. So they had to like loop the song yeah. a couple times to make it fit. But it's a seven minute montage that I'm obviously we're not going to talk about it, give it away. But I mean, I cried like a freaking baby because the the melody, the mood of that music, it was like could not be more perfect. Like there was not even a more perfect song for that. Yeah. And then the subject matter, which is just like this big, giant idea. That's Such like amazing high- closure. Oh my gosh, to fit that into. So that was a huge one. Another one recent in more recent years was um, the Pixar movie Soul. Oh, yeah. The middle of that, uh, there's this like, it's also a montage. I guess montages probably tend to be a little bit more dramatic, but it's also like a montage sort of thing. But um, I forget his name. I actually went on Instagram and stalked him and messaged him about this. But the piano player that does like all the piano jazz stuff for the for that movie Mm -hmm. there's this incredible piano piece in the middle during this sort of like aha moment that one of the characters is having that also makes me just cry like a freaking baby so i guess i i guess i enjoy crying (laughs) i don't know sometimes i need something to help me (laughs) that's true yeah and so those are two more recent ones but i i mean i look back to movies like american beauty also the same guy that made six feet under oh really and movies from yeah when I first like Magnolia, like movies that mm-hmm. were like big epic movies when I first started getting into movies that like really hit me. Those are just a few I can think of right now. Yeah, it's so incredible to f- have those. And, you know, the fact that you can pull three of them off the top of your head is just, you know, that just speaks yeah. to the, right. you know, how deep of a connection that is when when you see it happen. And are you trying to achieve that with your visual mediums now, like with your with the films that you're putting out? And do you want that to translate to the live show as well? Do you want it to have that kind of same memory kind of inducing yeah. feeling? Like the same kind of experience that you had that at the show where you're like, whoa, you know what? Like that feeling, that's what I want to create. And it's not about because it's not about me. You know, I don't want it to be about like, I, I mean, I'm there and I want to be giving something but I don't I just don't want I want the show to be an experience that's mm-hmm. like sort of neutral enough that like someone can watch it and have their own interpretation and it's not me telling jokes or wearing a certain outfit or like you know it's like whoa hold on a second i actually have to listen to what's going on here maybe listen to the words or feel the music or if nothing else just like enjoy this this visual thing that's happening um so i i really do i'm just always wanting to recreate that experience of having my friends listen to the album and not say anything, right? You know, and just be like fully present, and really take it in. And and if they and if they don't like it, that's fine. But like fully present for that, you know, thirty minutes or whatever. Yeah. And speaking of that, do you did you find that you got less people talking during your set because they have something to focus on? That's yes. Visual. Yes. I was going to say that's probably an unexpected consequence of the whole thing. Is exactly. so many house shows, people, you know, you're listening to the acoustic person over people talking yeah. and it's so even at bigger shows you you know the, the band that everybody's supposedly there to see they play an acoustic song and you hear people yelling at the bar <laughs> what what are you doing what are you there for 
It drives me insane. I tweeted about this the other day because I went to see this um, Madison Cunningham, who's this like insane virtuoso guitar player. She's like 24. She's mm-hmm. mind blowing. Jam packed, sold out. All these people came to see her play. Came to see her play. Like she yep. wasn't an opening act. They're like, I'm gonna pay money and like risk COVID to go see this person play. And they're t- I'm standing next to these people that are talking the entire time. And they're not just talking, they're like yell talking at each other because they're trying to talk over the music. And she's playing this like insane stuff. It just makes me like so I do not understand it at all. So yes, my one of my goals is just shut up and listen. <laughs> just just be here now, you know. Part of the reason that I also that I don't talk between songs is I don't want to make it I don't want to make anyone feel comfortable. I want to make you feel uncomfortable with silence. There are long pauses in my set where I'm not talking and mm-hmm. I'm standing perfectly still. And if you're talking, everyone in the room is going to know that you're talking. You know, like we're here to this is why we're here. I'm so <laughs> So I'm it's sorry. like musical guerrilla warfare. You're just like <laughs> <laughs> Look, what else can I do for you people? There's lights, there's video, there's music. Like what can I do? I'll dance around, whatever. If you can't just be quiet for 25 minutes. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> you know. So we've we talked a little bit about the community and the scene and everything. And like, so do you feel like you have been able to kind of like foster this different idea coming up in the scene for other people? And like, have is there any specific moments in like scene history that you have memories of that really like spoke to you, really helped you out as you were coming up? Oh, gosh, yes. Well, so I got into the punk scene in the Midwest. I was in Wisconsin when my band was active. And uh, we we toured all around like the Midwest. And there were just so many weird, there's just so many people doing weird stuff in that scene. I mean, I think punk scenes everywhere all the time. This was in very end of the 90s, early 2000s. So all basement shows just as weird as you could get. No one was really using um, like lights and stuff yet, but they were doing weird stuff. You know, they were just like fearless. But then I'm trying to remember when I first got really excited about visuals and stuff. Such a long time ago. God, <laughs> so old. I know that I, had, I, I know that I have seen in my DIY touring days, like someone show up with like a light rig that they've built or something where they've like cr- built some kind of that's part of it is like the the like building a thing like building a robot i mean yeah. i remember yeah i've seen bands that had like robots in them and like weird things like that where i was like it just got the wheels turning like oh you can do other things on stage than just stand and play your guitar in like a band t-shirt you know there's other mm-hmm. things you could do up here and then probably radiohead you know not in the scene not in my community but just having a band like that at the time that i like i grew up with them you know like they came out when i was like 15 or something and and blew up when i was like 15 and so i got to watch their thing progress yeah and the way that they use um just lights and visuals in general it's just always been like super helpful but yeah the midwest there was a bunch of people doing weird stuff and it was a lot of people doing weird stuff in jersey too trust me awesome i believe it i think everywhere (laughs) yeah basements all over the country yes basements all over the the country yeah um So, and when you say robots, it just made me think of Jonah with the R2, the R2-D2 little guy. Totally. And (laughs) Oh, Jonah. Jonah's such a great inspiration too. Just someone that's like 
gonna take a stage and like command an audience you know yeah he he does it like no one else no like, one else in, in he's a single person up there just a guitar yeah. and sometimes a robot from star wars uh <laughs> helping him with the drums <laughs> you know a little backing beat but otherwise like he'll he rolls with the punches Do you start oh, yeah. with the visuals and go lyric-wise or lyrics to visuals or both? That has changed over time. It's always kind of been music first because I don't know. It's just always been music first. And then and then maybe I'll maybe I'll maybe I'll have some jotted down something, like a something I've journaled or something I've written in my phone or something random that I'm like, oh, I like that phrase. Let's see if I can figure out how to use that phrase. Mm. But um it's easier for me to get the words to f- match the song than to than the other way around okay um and then as i got into film stuff in the you know 2014 15 i started doing more i started doing film scoring so i scored a, a an entire feature film called super powerless that you can rent and that flipped my brain a little bit into a new way of thinking about composing and just building sounds and putting sounds together for visuals and i think for, it did start to switch around that time like how's this going to look? You know, what's the visual going to be? Or like how, what the mood of this song, how can that be translated visually, whether it's in a music video or whatever's happening on stage. So like right now I'm writing songs for another album. The intention is that it will be the soundtrack for the new live show. It's actually completely turned into like the show is the thing. Mm Mm-hmm even though I don't have the show completely like written or designed yet, but I have that picture in my mind. And so the songs, I need to make sure that the songs sound like fit a certain, I don't know if it's a template or if it's just a mood, but something where it's like, okay, that's gonna, that's gonna make for great visuals or a great performance or a great moment in the show or something. Right. Um, yeah. So, but it still, it still does start with music, the music first, like a melody on a piano or a guitar or whatever. Rare, like a few times in my life, I've sat down and like at the same time, the words and the song has come together. Okay. You know, so I kind of like you must have like this little bit of synesthesia thing going on where you're like, mm-hmm. I can I can see what this should what this sound should look like or what Something sound, like, what yes. visual will go well with this. Yeah. And I think you're as you said before about video, film and music together touching you so deeply i think like you you're probably primed to be able to kind of put that out there yourself as well like you know your brain is already ready to make something like that yourself so it's taken a long time but yes (laughs) aside from building your light kits and everything you've been kind of doing diy everything from the beginning right you've been like writing producing everything as well as putting making your own merch yeah doing everything else like that too how's the process of making your own merch i know you you just re-released like your classic t-shirt t-shirt <laughs> with your God. you know your spray paint logo never again no <laughs> uh, those, those old ones aren't, aren't worth as much anymore <laughs> oh my gosh dude that is so much work it is like a it's like a 90 it's a 90 percent diy project other than the fact that in the studio i very heavily rely on producers and engineers to help with um making everything come to life. So I wish I was good enough to fully produce an engineer. Actually, I don't wish that because the people that I've worked with in the studio over the years are so brilliant and they're so like such like masters at what they do that I could never achieve that. And I've gotten some like incredible stuff out of that. So that aside, 
but yeah, the merch, I've done screen printing. I don't make it all by hand. I do <laughs> screen print, but I have done so much handmade. And that was another thing from the beginning with this. It's like, how can I make this different? How can I make it unique and special and different? And something that's like, I myself got tired of jewel case CDs. I myself got tired of like going and watching five bands on a bill that all look and sound the same. You know, I, I myself was tired as a music fan of a lot of things. And so how do I make this shirt interesting? Yeah. Hand stencil it. How do I make this CD interesting? I don't know. Let's print, let's screen print a piece of canvas and sew it <laughs> by hand and put the CD in there. I don't know. Yeah. So it's just been playing with like, you know, what would I think was cool, basically? What would I be like, oh, that's unique and different. And I would want to pay attention to that, or I would want to spend money on that, or I would want to be a part of that. Yeah. And it helps it stand out. I mean, definitely yeah. makes you stand out from the crowd and you know, yeah. kind of goes along with everything else that, you know, it fits the style of your music as well and your mu your music and your visuals at your show. So. Yeah, the handmade element is very apparent. Like even even as the show gets like a little bit sleeker, there's still like I just can't get rid of the handmade part of it. Like there's still clothespins holding things together mm -hmm. on stage. You know, there's still like hand sewn things everywhere and it's like a little bit messy. But I think that's a good thing. I, th I think that, you know, when it's too sleek, it's like boring yeah i was actually just about to say i feel like even if it's not by design if it were too like polished it wouldn't have this it wouldn't feel right in conjunction yeah. with everything else so yeah. being able to see some of the curtain hanging or some of the you know some of the clips holding it like we know you know we're not under the illusion that we uh, that it's not put together by you but yeah you get lost in the music and the visuals anyway, despite that, you know, and maybe help that helps it actually. Yes, totally, totally. So from the DIY-ness of your whole career, I have to imagine there's been some failures um, along the way. Oh, yeah. Do you have like a favorite failure that taught you something or just a, something that, that comes to mind? Oh, God, that's such a good question. Yes, so many. More failures than successes, probably. I don't know, unless failure is a success because you See, learn from it. That's a positive See? way of looking at it. <laughs> it's um, all about your perspective. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, in my old band, I just, we did some crazy touring that I was like, what are we doing here in this like abandoned house that we're going to sleep in? That's like, <laughs> got like, it was flooded in the basement. And there's like molding food in the kitchen and no one lived there. And we're sleeping on chairs in the living room. And there's like bugs crawling on the floor, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. I mean, it, great, it makes a great story. And I was 23. <laughs> so like, whatever, I mean, you're going to survive that when you're 23. Some of the failures were more like, I want to say spiritual failures. I don't think that's exactly right. But some lessons I've learned about like pushing myself maybe too hard or not pushing hard enough through certain walls or certain mm -hmm. like things that come up giving up too soon or putting myself in like stupid situations like the tour I did in 2010 I think it was the end of 2010 I was really already just in like kind of a, mentally aside from music just in a kind of a really dark place anyway and I was really trying super hard to force something to happen that wasn't happening on its own with music I was just like I've got to just try so hard you know and it's like I had somehow, I guess, I had somehow stumbled back into that place I was in in the old band where it wasn't necessarily like trying gotcha. to get famous, but I was trying too hard to prove something to myself or to someone or whatever. But I ended up buying this car on Craigslist for like 500 bucks from someone in LA. I mean, 
when I saw the car, I should have turned around and run away. But I was like, I got to make this work. And I was broke, you know, and I was trying to like be the starving artist thing. And mm-hmm. I mean, I should have died in that car like 10 times on that tour. I was all by myself driving around a full United States in this like $500 beat up car that broke down like every hundred miles. I mean, it was a terrible idea. And now looking back, I was like, you poor little thing. Like, what were are you trying so hard to prove to someone that you could do it, that you could survive this very dangerous, very stupid situation <laughs> that you put yourself in? I'm sure that my like fans were like, Sarah, go home. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, and I was like, I'm gonna I'm making it through. And um that was really a dumb failure. And it just made me lose a lot of money, honestly, unnecessarily. You spent a lot more money fixing the car than you did buying it. Way more money, (laughs) way more. And and just like that, you know, at that point, 2009, you know, it's sort of like at that point, I think I was like still living out my 2003, like touring dreams where everybody's on tour. You just hit the road and that's just what you do. You hit the road and they're like, no, we got the internet now. We got like these other things. (laughs) You don't have to do it. There's other (laughs) things to do. You don't have to do this yourself. So I now have a sense that like when something scares me, like, oh, that feels overwhelming. Like, I don't think I could do it. I can't pull it. I don't think I could do that. Um, I don't think I can write that song or sing that part, or I don't think I could figure out, you know, this solve this problem or whatever. It's this like nuance of, yeah, try it, try it. Even if it's outside your comfort zone, don't be scared and give up. Cause that used to be what I would do when I was younger. Like, I just, this is too scary. I, I don't think I can, you know, it's sort of like, um, there's fear of failure, but then there's fear of success too, you know? Definitely, yeah. And so that's been, especially in the last couple of years of like, you know, I'm being challenged to try things I've never done before and try to push creatively. And in the past, I know that I've given up at this point. And so I'm not going to give up now, but I think that's probably the other kind of failure, I guess. That's it. And it sounds like that's a great lesson that you kind of took with you, but I've had that same feeling long ago. And I, I love now taking on things that I don't think I can do yeah. because more often than not, I proved to myself that I either can do it or I'm happy that I tried. Anyway, I learned, I learned something along the way. Exactly. So I'm happy. I'm, I'm going to say, you know, I'll give it a shot and I give, I give it my best shot. And usually it ends up either making a connection with somebody, learning a new skill, or just like figuring something out and realizing that yeah. I could have done this all along. Totally. It's a great feeling, you right? You get something out of it. <laughs> now, the like where the wisdom comes in is like when it involves the $500 Volvo that's broken, right. <laughs> that's when you're like, no, don't try that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Find a different route. Maybe not Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> God. I feel like Craigslist oh. in LA is a whole different scene than no, Craigslist yeah. everywhere else. <laughs> oh my God, no. That guy that sold me that car is just out there still to this day. Like, I cannot believe I sold a car to that girl. I should never have done that. I hope he feels bad. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he probably doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> kind of wrap up. I have a few like quick questions toward the end here. Um, do you have any uh, good advice that you've gotten that you've continued to use that you could share? Oh, man. Just about anything or about? Yeah, about anything. Life, oh, music, wow. career, whatever. Yeah, whatever comes to mind. So much. Tell me how to live um, life. Okay, here we go. <laughs> okay. Probably. Well, okay. I'll say this just because uh, I lived this and maybe people listening to this are in the music industry. But I remember when I first got started working for Kevin Lyman for the Warp Tour. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it was probably my first time out on the road. And I was like, flying high. This is so awesome. Oh, I want to do this forever. And I remember him saying to me, the hardest thing about getting on the road is getting off the road. 
And I was always like, what do you mean by that? And getting out of the music industry was really, really one of the hardest things ever. And I don't know why. So that was just like something that I've passed on to a lot of other people that worked in the industry or worked for festivals where they just get kind of like hooked into this like touring life or this Mm -hmm. like you make so much money doing these gigs and it's really hard to get out of Um, and like just go live sort of a quote unquote normal life, whatever that is, you know, being home all the time, getting off the road, getting off tour. Even as a touring musician, it was hard to be like, I'm going to stop touring for a while. Um, There's something about that, that like there's a romanticism about that. But I think that can actually be applied to probably a lot of things. You know, the hardest thing of, of, about getting into some situations is getting yourself out of those situations. So um, I think I've probably used that in a few different ways. I think Kevin Lyman also said this to me, uh, (laughs) something about, jumping off the cliff and then growing wings on your way down. Like sometimes you just got to like go for it and you figure it out in the free fall, you know, oh, yeah. like that's a, that's a huge part I think of being creative and just um, learning to be a little bit fearless. I think the hardest part about taking advice sometimes is just taking the advice. Like just people, can, the adv- people yes. can tell you things all you want. It's like actually like trying to put that foot forward and take the advice to just take a leap. It's harder yes. to do than it is to tell somebody else. <laughs> I mean, and, and that has come in so handy because if you know, if you do that a few times and you realize even if it doesn't work out, you land on your feet, you totally. end up fine. That becomes a life skill of like, I don't need to stay in this job I hate. I don't need to stay in the situation I hate. I know that I could just jump and leave and figure it out and I'll be okay. You yeah. know, I, I know a lot of people that just haven't had the enough life experience of, you know, quitting and starting over and whatever and jumping out, jumping off that cliff. And it's very scary to to ch- change direction if, if you've never done that before and have faith that you're going to be okay. So yeah, that's been a really big one. I think those two things you just said, those two lessons are like, they, they're intertwined, you know, like knowing how, like taking the leap is the same as like knowing when to get out. Like yes. quitting is as imp- <laughs> like knowing when to quit is as important as knowing when to start something or yes, knowing how totally. to start something. Yes. Yes. It's, it's just as hard. Everything. It's just as hard to start as it is to end knowing that you're going to be okay no matter what. And then I think my, my big thing that I've just been working with more in recent years is just letting go of the outcome and, and hmm. really, not focusing so much on trying to control how it's going to go, how it's going to turn out and just do the next right thing and put one foot for the other, enjoy the process as much as possible and stop thinking about how's this going to go, you know, the goal, like just let go of control of the outcome because I really can't control it no matter what I do. And so if I focus on that, I'm going to be miserable the whole time and miss out on the experience of the thing I'm trying to do, you know? Definitely. Enjoying the process is a great way to say that because I feel like one of the things that ruins experiences is expectations and having too high of expectations, any kind of expectations is a good way to give yourself like a a bad experience because you're going to go into it thinking this is going to happen. And then one thing goes wrong. That's not really a problem, but it didn't go the way you saw it. So all of a sudden your mind goes, well, this is not good anymore. It's not going the right way. Instead of just yeah. leaning into the flaws, quote unquote flaws of what's going yeah. on, you might find something even better within those like those fault lines. Oh, yeah. The 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 way that situations when I don't have expectations as much as possible, I mean, it's really hard. But like the way that things turn out or the way things fall into place is never how I would have imagined it or expected it. And it's always more interesting and it's always more creative and it's, it's usually better. And you know, it's just, it's so much more fun to kind of like lean back and just enjoy the ride and watch what happens and Definitely. not 
need it to go a certain <laughs> way. Oh, yeah. gosh. That's a lesson I have to keep learning myself. But I, I do know like in photography, I go out planning to shoot something and I've, I've kind of taught myself to not go in with a specific vision or expectation because almost any time as if I go out somewhere with my camera, if I'm just like, I'm going to go shoot a sunset and the sunset's not this spectacular thing that I was hoping to see, I almost 100% of the time find something along the way just because I'm there yeah. ready to shoot and I ha I'm in the mode of I'm going to find something creative. I find something amazing and I end up with a shot that I love. And I've done that enough that I know as far as photography goes, I can go out there without expectations and come back with something that I'm really proud of. It doesn't work in every other facet of my life, but, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> I, I guess I just have to do it more. <laughs> oh, it probably does work in other facets. You just don't even know that it's working. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, I, yeah. I get, may, maybe so. Yeah, that might be true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like when I'm like, oh, I really don't want to go out tonight or I don't want to go to that party or I don't want to go to that show. And I'm like, and I go and I have the best time ever. Yeah. You know, it's that like, is my, oh. I don't know yeah. what it is in the human mind that makes us like just we I guess we just are seeking comfort and when we're we're in a comfortable situation yep. you don't want to get out of it but totally yeah totally making myself like I've never regretted going on a hike I've never regretted going for a nope. run never regretted nope. going to a show never but when I'm at home I don't somehow my mind has not prioritized all those other times when I was like <laughs> don't you remember all those other times you had such a good time at these things <laughs> yeah yeah uh, you got to rack up enough of those it's like <laughs> oh right okay all right I'll give yeah. myself a little pep talk Yep. And then 100% of the time, it turns out exactly the same. Totally. Oh, I'm so glad I did that. Just taking that first step out the door is the hard part. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah. Just forcing yourself to do it is the, the key there, I think. Yep. What do you do when, when you want to write? Um, do you wait for inspiration or do you like sit down and force yourself to do it? And mm. in that, within that question, what do you do to like get yourself inspired when you aren't quite feeling it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is oh, such a good question. It's like the whole thing, right? Who is it that talks about like 10,000 hours? Just do it consistently. Do it every day. Do it even just show up, come to the blank page, you know, practice. If you can get that in, you know, you're going to get better no matter what. It's like there are no mistakes really. And so I go through these phases of like, every Sunday is studio day and I just sit in here and no matter what happens, even if I sit here and don't do anything, at least I sat in the studio for six hours or whatever and I did it. And I'll do that for a season. And then I'll like get off of that thing and then I'll get into like, oh, I just, you know, waiting for the mood to strike and then I'll just run run and write it down or something. But um, I really do believe in the idea of like uh, consistency and just doing it over and over and over just sit and show up and sometimes i've sat in here and i'm like so depressed and i can't get anything done and i just you know i just sit until i'm like all right this really doesn't feel good but at least i showed up and i feel good for having shown up so right i, I like lately that's more of it like hey i gotta block out time especially because you know you get busy and uh, other things can fill your time and there's all these like netflix hbo shows and you know hulu and all this stuff and it's like i could just do that the rest of my life honestly full-time i've got to carve out this i've got to have the discipline and i think it's important to have a physical space so like the space that i'm in right now mm -hmm. is this is this upstairs attic room in the house um and i in my old house i didn't have any space it was a teeny tiny house i didn't have a separate place to go or even like a corner that i could be turned into something it was so tiny and i it was miserable and so having a room 
that I can go to. And that's what happens in that room is super helpful. Um, I'm like a nester in that way. Like I want to have, you know, my gadgets around and, and then, yeah, I mean, you know, the mood striking thing. I just think that that, I think you got to create the environment for the mood to strike. I think you've got to, you've got to set it up so that it's possible for the mood to strike. And so, because if we're all just waiting for inspiration, like there's so many great quotes about this, but it's just never, you know, it's like the best work comes out of someone writing a thousand pages and having one great page or like taking a million photos and having one great photo or writing a million crappy songs and having one great song. Like that's how you do it. That's how all of the greats have always done it. Vincent Van Vincent Van Gogh, Green Day, like all these people that's like, they'll talk about, oh, I wrote a a hundred songs for that album Mm -hmm. and picked five that were great. You know, it's like, that's what you do. Yeah. So um, you just got to do it. One of my favorite quotes uh, is by Chuck Close. And he said, uh, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up. And I'm like, yes, Yes, I I appreciate that because when I do, even if I don't have like something striking the inspiration to write something, if I just open a Word document and just start free associating and just start writing, I end up with great stuff. Okay, so I did prep you for this one. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Here we go. <laughs> so uh, I really how- don't know what I've said for the last hour because I was only <laughs> thinking about this question the whole time. <laughs> well, you've been doing pretty well if, you've been, if your mind has been wandering. So uh, how do you want to be remembered? Okay. <laughs> this is so great. Um, I do actually, you know what? I actually do think about this question a lot, so it's not that hard for me because <laughs> uh, as I've gotten older and just thinking more about the impact that I'm having and like, how am I, how am I being useful, right, to to the world? So I think in your in your 20s, it's like ego driven, and it's just so much about me, 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 me. And like, as you get older, it's like, oh wait a minute, I want to be part of community. I want to connect. I want to. What do I have to offer the group, right? And I think one of my things I have become like known for among my friends or, you know, people in the community um, is just my ability to um, sort of create experiences, like bring people together and create experiences, whether that's like a party or it's an art event or it's just a meaningful evening or it's um, something where. And and it's one of my favorite things to do, get everyone together and just uh, there's a focus. There's like something meaningful that happens. Um, It could be book clubs. It could be retreats. It could be just I love it. And I just find Mm -hmm. myself doing that instinctively. I'm like throwing movie nights and journaling clubs and meditation vigils and like all these things all the time. And then my show has become a part of that, too. Like I really love having those moments where I'm fully present. And I'm really experiencing something with other people and I'm fully, fully, fully present for it. And I remember it for my whole life. And so I think I think I want to be remembered for, you know, someone being someone that could bring people together and like create experiences for people in a lot of different ways. That's really beautiful. And I I will say as a uh, patron of your music, you are doing that and you have done that. Like awesome. I, you have created like an indelible experience for me that I, you know, going to those shows and seeing those performances, you know, has always stuck with me. So, and I mean, your music in general just sticks with me as well. So Mm, that's amazing. (laughs) Um, Thank you. Yeah. So I thank you so much for, for taking the time to do this with me. I had such a good time chatting with you on the, on the other podcast that 
I was like, we need to talk more. We have way, we have so much more to talk about. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, totally. <laughs> so um, before before we finish up, are there any local artists or people that have been inspiring you lately that you'd like want to plug or put out there to uh, promote? Yeah. Um, so in Nashville, um, I mean, gosh, there's so much cool stuff happening in Nashville right now. There's um, in the electronic music scene, there's Nashville Ambient Ensemble, which um, is just this incredible collection of musicians doing really cool stuff. Um, then there's a there's a festival called Kindling Arts Festival. It's a performance arts festival, and they are bringing together like all of Nashville's really cool, strange, weird, mm-hmm. you know, performance art stuff. And through them, you can find a million things. And then Defy Film Festival is another one, um, independent film festival that happens in Nashville every year, and it's just like an incredible event, incredible films from all over the world, not just Nashville. Um, so those are just a few. Um, and through them, you kind of find everybody in Nashville because Nashville is right. kind of a small town, especially if it's not country music. It's pretty much we're all like just this tiny everybody little cluster. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll link to all those things in the show notes and everything. So awesome. Is there uh, is there anywhere online that we can find you? Where, where can we find all of your work? So Gardening Not Architecture everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, website, uh, Bandcamp. And then Sarah Saturday Graham is my instagram thing but sarah saturday i think i've got all the sarah saturday things otherwise but yeah sarah saturday gardening and architecture uh, pinterest Pinterest, (laughs) (laughs) never fully got into i don't know why i feel like that's always my joke about like people's social media like i'm on all the social medias under this name and i'm like yeah pinterest Pinterest, yeah (laughs) i'll I'll follow you on pinterest (laughs) (laughs) i want to see your boards (laughs) Um, all right well yeah thank thanks so much uh for taking the time and for you know inspiring me and I, I hope that uh, some other people get inspired by this as well. And I look forward to what you're doing in the future and hope I can see you live soon. <laughs> you will. You will. Awesome. Well, if anybody wants to find me online, you can find me at Don't Worry I'm Finite on Instagram, or you can go to Don't Worry I'm Finite.com to find all the extras, as well as YouTube.com slash Don't Worry I'm Finite. I also have Don't Worry I'm Finite on all the socials. Including Including Pinterest. Pinterest. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. All right. Thanks, Sarah, so much. And uh, to finish up, can you uh, just uh, tell me your name and uh, the name of the show? I'm Sarah Saturday, and this is Don't Worry, I'm Finite. Uh, Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.